Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Melvin, and I just got back from Florida. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea. The movie chosen for this week's episode was voted on by the good friends over at the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, so if you want to help me pick out movies for a week I don't have scheduled, be sure to join and have your voice heard. But remember, you'll need to answer a few questions before we, at the admin team, can let you in. That said, I do apologize to my voters. I was quite busy this week and unable to do the amount of research I wanted to for this episode. I visited Florida for a potential job opportunity, and along with that came tons of work. By the time I could take a break, I couldn't get my brain to do any reading or writing. That said, I think I have a fair assessment for Manchester by the Sea, and I look forward to sharing my thoughts. But first, let's learn what this film's about. Lee Chandler is a custodian working multiple properties in the snow-stricken streets of Boston. He's quiet, but he's not a pushover, and he's more than willing to start a bar fight or two. When he receives a call about the passing of Joe, his brother, he takes the initiative and heads home to Manchester to help with the practical struggles of burying someone. In the process, he helps his nephew Patrick acclimate to the coming grief of losing a loved one. But there's further grief in Manchester than it seems, and Lee's finding it hard to reconcile with his past. Manchester by the Sea is rated R for language throughout and sexual content. The language is pervasive and strong, but often used casually and not with spite or nasty intent. The language is more or less filler words. The sexual content is non-graphic but implied, and often simply dialogue-based. In other words, characters talking about sexual stuff, and that doesn't happen very often. There's a scene midway in the film with implied nudity that has to do with a traumatic event and is played out respectfully. It's also very brief, but may come off initially shocking. There's also a gag in the later half of the film about two teenagers trying to sleep with one another, but again, non-graphic, still implied. It can be uncomfortable for the 5-10 to minute duration. So I think I want to start off with something that Kenneth Lonergan shared in an interview. When talking about Manchester by the Sea, and complex dramas in general, he said that he feels audiences are quicker than most people think, than most production companies think. The reason I want to start with that is because this film, for all its worth, is an easy to understand, yet very heavy and complex story. It's not the sort of thing people eagerly and excitedly walk into, the sort of thing production companies want to make. You know, a blockbuster. And sometimes both audiences and production companies have this mentality that films like this soar over people's heads. I think there's even a mentality to think that the most dramatic independent films like this don't do well nowadays isn't simply because the market has shifted, but because they think the market is shifting to bigger, dumber movies that people can idly consume. There was definitely a point in time in my life that I would say I agree with that. A time when I would say that I would agree that people nowadays are, to put it lightly, dumber as far as cinema is concerned. That they're settling for art that's filled with surface-level shine, but is nothing more than hollow and empty. To treat the blockbusters of our day, like Star Wars and Marvel movies, basically anything Disney owned, as though they were listless garbage. But I don't think that way anymore, and here's why. 
I don't think people are stupid, and I especially don't think people idly consume media. Not in the way most people mean when they say it, at least. I think Lonergan is spot on, in fact. I think audiences are much quicker than people think, but perhaps not in the way he means. I think there's a mentality behind media consumption as though there is a gate we're either protecting or some sort of hidden knowledge that restricts certain kinds of media from being accessible to others, as though one needs to be enlightened to understand the premise of a film or connect on an intimate level with a character. Yet the reality is that the joy of art is not only understanding what a creator is saying through the translative art of film, but what unique takeaways we get from a series of images, scores, and performances that make up the whole of a movie. Sometimes it isn't that people don't get a movie, rather that a movie didn't connect with them as intimately as it did another. I react to the film Mandy in a way that is very different to my friends, and I'm sure very different to you guys too. But that's the joy of art. We react differently to different things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Mandy is incomprehensible to some and clear to me. It just means there's a different way of looking at it. And this may sound tangential to Lonergan's philosophy, let alone tangential to the episode, but the point I'm getting at is that people are quick to understand film, and even quicker to react to it. Nobody idly consumes something, and even the choice to toss a film on in the background and browse social media at the same time is a very active and deliberate choice. That's not idle at all, that's just different. For instance, with Manchester by the Sea, nearly from the get-go, you're thrust into the story of Lee Chandler, who very clearly has disconnected himself from virtually everything. He's separated himself from others, both intimately and communally. And nearly every situation we see him in during the exposition seems equally reluctant as it is necessary. Like a cycle of, this is what life is, so I guess this is what I should do. Someone may perceive that lifestyle as idly passing the days, simply giving them their due diligence and moving on without a thought, but it's very deliberate. And as the film goes on, we see the mentality that feeds these choices. We see what causes Lee to distance himself from others, and in some ways restrain himself from engaging in relationships, let alone passive pleasures that are in alcohol and sports events. We're confronted with a complex character from the get-go who exhibits qualities that one might so easily discard as worthless and a waste of space, someone who exhibits what we've already talked about, the qualities that make for someone who doesn't care for things and maybe incorrectly engages those around him, at least as far as we socially believe he should. There's even a line later in the film about Lee's apprehension about staying in Manchester after temporarily moving in to help Patrick with the funeral work. Meanwhile, Lee keeps talking about how he is trying to pass on Patrick to another relative so he can head back to Boston, or anywhere else. In an argument, Patrick yells at him, saying something along the lines of, What is there in Boston anyway? You were just a janitor. What does it matter? For all he knows, Lee has no reason to struggle with, should I stay or should I go? Lee has nothing to go back to, so why not stay? Why not stick around? Why not do something with your life, Lee? I think it's easy to fall into that pit with people, to think we know what's going on in someone else's mind and make assumptions about their lives. To think we can see the whole picture and make declarative attacks at others like we're some sort of all-seeing deity and have any form of authority. But why do people make decisions like that? Why does Patrick say something so passive? Or why does Lee punch a man in the face when someone walks into him rather than simply go, hey man, don't worry about it? Because some people aren't like that. Some people are angry. Some people are lonely. Some people are emotional. Some people don't quite know what to do with the pains of life. And there's something cathartic about cutting your knuckles against someone else's teeth. I mean, this is a story of common grief. This is a story that anyone can understand, even if it's filled with nuanced performances and dialogue that, at times, seems superfluous. 
There's another instance where Lee and Patrick are arguing about where to bury Joe, and a random passerby says, nice parenting, only to have Lee explode and Patrick hold him back from making more mistakes. That seems so random. It's both comedic in its timing and tragic in its relatability. That idea that people are constantly judging our situation and making precepts about who we are without knowing us. And I suppose that in some respects, that defeats my argument. It defeats even Lonergan's argument. If the definition of audience is extended to mean general public, then it's easy to nitpick individuals who, quite literally, aren't quick to understand. They're quicker to make baseless accusations and apathetic comments about others. Just look at the comment thread on a political post and you'll see exactly what this looks like. But even then, that's very deliberate, and there's an understanding taking place, and one can't deny how quick it is. How quick it is for someone to write six paragraphs of vitriol towards someone they don't even know. So it's not that people don't understand. I think it's that what people understand can be misguided, can be fed from outside sources, can be manipulated, can be completely different to our own understanding. And that's why we disagree. That's why we get into fights. That's why we have to say, please, talk to me. Help me understand. There's a wonderful moment in the film where Patrick is trying to grab something from the fridge. It's late at night, and like most people do, he's scavenging for a snack. When he opens the freezer, tons of frozen meats fall to the floor. And as he's trying to stuff it back in, the door won't shut. Then the chicken falls out. Then some more meats. Then some gets stuck in the door again. And soon after, he's having a fit. He's getting angrier and angrier, then sadder, then weeping as he's trying to shove everything back into this fridge. Meanwhile, Lee comes down the hall and, recognizing that this isn't normal behavior for something as small as meat falling out of a freezer, he's repeating, What's wrong? Is something wrong? Tell me, because I don't understand. And so, sometimes people aren't so quick to understand, but they aren't idle about it. They're not idle about not understanding. Some people make very active, baseless accusations like, What is there in Boston? Aren't you just a janitor? And others are trying to understand and actively reaching out. What's wrong with the freezer? Is there something wrong with the meats? And obviously it's not the meat. Anyone watching the film knows the meat isn't what's upsetting him. For goodness sake, his father just died. There's so much more going on in this teenager's mind. You know it's not because some stupid meat fell out of the freezer, and yet you're watching it happen and want to understand. I think, then, Lonergan is emphasizing that people are quick to understand because they want to understand. And I think people want to understand because people want to be understood. But also, I think I may be making a ton of contradictory points here. So why am I not revising this script? Why haven't I highlighted everything and just pressed the delete button? Well, first off, I am writing this the same day it's going to be posted, so I don't want to start over and I feel really rushed. <laughs> I want to keep on my schedule. That's reason number one. Reason number two is that I think there's so much more to the statement I think people are quick to understand. I think there's so much to it because I agree wholeheartedly with that idea that people are quick to understand things about other people, but there are barriers that we put up both voluntarily in sin and inadvertently through ignorance that prevent us from accepting how empathetic we can be as people, how easy it is to connect with others even if at times we are refusing to do so. And Manchester by the Sea is entirely about relationships. It's about relationships and how events in our life can not only bring us together, but separate us as well. How things can be so big and affect us so much, even if we never think they would. Even if things in life never seem like they'll go sour, or would never be as bad as we think we are. How fragile our relationships are, while simultaneously attempting to preserve them in the most dysfunctional ways. Especially that last bit, I want to repeat that. 
how relationships can be incredibly fragile, yet filled with dysfunctional perseverance. I mean, that's why this movie is rated R. There are tons of F-bombs dropped in its runtime, over a hundred, because Lee and Patrick can't stop arguing with each other or passively using harsh language to communicate, yet they continue to stick together. It's fascinating to watch this film, apart from being a fantastic drama filled with a brilliant balance of tragedy and comedy, it is so layered in relational realism that it captures the statement people are quick to understand so perfectly. It captures the problems with that statement as well, that people are quick to understand their own way of thinking while showing how quick we want to understand what's happening to others when we want to help. And there's a bit of bullcrap in taking that quote so seriously, I admit it. But so much of life is understanding and misunderstanding. It's so much about how we connect with one another and how we do that is paired with how we understand one another, not least of all how we understand ourselves. And sometimes what we learn about others can be heartbreaking. What we learn about ourselves can be daunting. How we misunderstand others can be damaging. How we misunderstand ourselves can be self-deprecating. How we try and help others can seem so minuscule. How we try and help ourselves seems pointless. Or what we assume of others can be fatal, or about ourselves can be utterly and completely false. Manchester by the Sea is a realistic depiction of how unrealistic our relationships can seem. How in some cases, they can make complete sense and others dysfunctional and tolerant at best. And that can make for an unconventional, oftentimes uncomfortable experience. Like looking in a mirror and seeing new wrinkles on your face or feeling shameful about the number registered on a scale. But what about those life-changing moments when you understand something but refuse to accept it? Like seeing a wall in your way that extends infinitely left and infinitely right, and knowing that you need to cross to the other side, but you can never do it. But you want to do it so badly. What does it mean to be faced with impossible scenarios? To come face to face with things that, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you attempt to understand something, you can never get over the fact that it simply is. This sort of thing is different for everyone. We all have something that we refuse to accept, be it a quality in someone else or a quality in ourselves. Or maybe it's some sort of reality in the world that confounds our basic comprehension. Maybe it's so disruptive we can't bounce back from it or perhaps we ignore it like it never happened. I don't know if I've ever experienced something like that, Lord willing I never will, so I don't know if I feel comfortable tackling that topic with Bible verses or anecdotes to carry out some sort of false wisdom. But let me say this, Manchester by the Sea is a very good movie simply because it respects that struggle. It embraces it with open arms and is more interested in telling a realistic story than it is making statements, and sometimes that's alright. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Manchester by the Sea, what did you think of it? Did you find it as emotionally enriching as I did or find the ending rather sudden? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let me know in a comment below or shoot me an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you're on Letterboxd, I have a list compiling every movie reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so feel free to check that out. By the way, I did some guest appearances on a few other podcasts. One of them is already out, and that one is The Reformed Gamers, a show about theology, video games, and anything else, where I talked with Logan about the first three Resident Evil movies. 
The other podcast is War Machine vs. Warhorse, where Michael and I talked about Under the Silver Lake, The Nice Guys, and The Black Dahlia, and talked about the gross misuse of women in each film, among other things. That one should be up soon. And before I lose you, be sure to check out Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page and keep up to date with movie news and my own shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. All of this will be available in the show notes if you so need it. Next time, I'll be reviewing Riley Stern's The Art of Self-Defense. Until then, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.